from Monday into Mysteries. Hello, Frisky followers. It's Natalie Newar back for another episode of Monday into Miss. You can find me at mundayintomiss.blogspot.com. Check me out, listen to the podcast, read everything I ramble on about, figure it out. I just want to congratulate the U.S. for finally getting their shit together on the recent SCOTUS decision. So congrats to those affected, anyone who supports any of that, which you should. And uh, I just think it's a cool thing that we finally are getting with the 21st century and we're headed in the right direction. So speaking of the right direction, let's go ahead and head into our topics for this week. Last week I told you guys we'll be discussing subspace, subdrop, and aftercare. We're also going to take a crack at hard and soft limits and figure out what they are and why you need them. Let's get started. Okay, so you might be asking yourself, what the heck is subspace? Some people call this headspace. They refer to it as floating or flying. Basically, it's what you call the state that a submissive's mind and body might be in during play. It can be during deep play. It can be during intense play. Uh, Everyone's a little bit different, so people come across it in different ways. It's kind of elusive and sought after. It's kind of like the holy grail of a play scene. People love to get into subspace because it is a good feeling. The psychological aspect of BDSM can cause a lot of subs to sort of mentally separate themselves from where they are and who they're playing with, and that can be referred to as subspace. Basically, this happens during the scene if it's, like I said, an intense or a deep experience of pain and pleasure. It's your response to your nervous system sort of getting that release of adrenalines in your body and other chemical messages like endorphins and uh, pain releasers. It's basically what happens when someone says they get a runner's high or when you're in flight or fight mode. So it's basically your body's response to something mental and physical um, affecting you. Basically, this can help increase a sub or bottom's pain tolerance because they are detaching themselves a little bit. They can be in sort of a trance-like state and it will allow them to take a little more pain. And that's a good and bad thing. It depends on what you're looking for in your subspace experience. But as I said, it's basically your hormones and the endorphins and other chemicals being released. I'm no scientist or doctor. I just know about it at its most layman terms. So that's what happens. And that's why people say they feel like they're having an out-of-body experience or that they're detached from reality or that they feel like they're floating or flying. And a lot of submissives um, love reaching this sort of uh, subspace because they lose all sensation for any sort of stimulus and pain and it can be sustained for longer so they can actually take more from their top or dominant. And as the high sort of comes down and the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, you'll be very exhausted. You might even be incoherent. And this is what aftercare sort of takes care of. And I'll go over that in a minute. If you want to know how to look for subspace, 
I've noticed in the submissives that I've played with, um, every, again, everyone's a little bit different. So everyone experiences it a little bit different, but a couple of things I've seen across the board is that the bottom maybe can't speak as well. They'll revert to sort of moaning and groaning and growls and grunts. And those things are hard to decipher. So I actually pay even more attention when my submissive is doing that. And sometimes there will be changes in how their skin's looking. You want to make sure um, their skin's not too red like it's like you're going to break the skin and have them bleed unless that's what you're looking for sometimes their eyes roll back in their head or their body sort of gets limp against whatever device they're leaning um they might get a little wobbly on their feet their sometimes their muscles will actually tense up um so like you you kind of want to watch this because when you are hitting someone or beating on someone normally they do tense up when they are reaching the subspace they sort of let themselves go and you know sort of go with the beating and it seems like they're falling into each each motion that you do and uh, after a little bit of time with different submissives, you can probably come to recognize when your sub or bottom is going into subspace. You'll you'll notice, and they might even tell you during aftercare or after you've had aftercare, I felt like I was floating. I don't remember some of the things you were doing to me. I was just feeling it, etc. Those sort of those sort of terms and and keywords would I would say would be oh you might have been experiencing subspace so after someone has been in subspace you might be like well what do I do now like what what am I supposed to do so I think it's really important if you are a top or a dominant to be aware of subspace know what it's like physically and psychologically figure out how it's going to impact your sub or your bottom because if you just leave someone who has entered subspace after you've been doing a scene with them that is terrible that is not like beyond just not like oh I don't need aftercare but if you see someone who did go into subspace and they say they don't want aftercare you might want to just hang out with them just for a little bit I think it's a dominance responsibility to spend time bringing the submissive back down and gradually lessening the stimulation that the sub has been experiencing you sort of want to bring them back down to earth you want to um, give them the right affection and reassurance and you want to let them know they did a good job and you know for us aftercare involves candy and cuddles <laughs> um that's sort of what happens for us and everyone's a little bit different some people like massages some people like just being cuddled some people like complete silence some people just want to you know sort of sit and reflect on what happened and all of that's fine but I feel very strongly that a dominant or a top that is played with someone should offer aftercare even if the bottom says no I don't need aftercare still stay close by still keep an eye on them and if someone did go into subspace you definitely want to make sure that they're well taken care of make sure that they are coming back down slowly because it's very exhausting to come down from subspace so you want to make sure as a dominant you've provided like a safe place for the submissive to sleep and regain strength or just chill out or you know 
just sort of, like I said, coming back down to earth and it's, it's, it's an out of body experience, so to speak. So it can be very dangerous to leave someone who has been in subspace sort of cold Turkey, because if that person needs to drive home or they need to get on the Metro, they might not have the required concentration and focus that they need to perform a complex task like that. And it could, it could be very bad for them. So you do want to make sure that you're, you're there and you're ready and you're able to provide those sort of things to anyone you play with. And if that sounds like a lot of work to you, if that sounds like something you're not into, you probably shouldn't be a dominant or a top. Because any dominant or top that doesn't know proper aftercare techniques is not being safe and they're not someone who should be playing with other people. If you need to know what aftercare sort of things you can do, just Google it. Aftercare in the BDSM scene. There are tons of things that will tell you how to do aftercare and you can find things that you're comfortable with and you can also talk to the submissive beforehand. Like I've mentioned in another podcast, you want to negotiate your scene beforehand and that also includes finding out what the proper aftercare is for them. Now, I mentioned subdrop, and for me, that's always a what goes up must come down sort of effect. Um, basically, what happens is after, you know, aftercare, <laughs> there's sometimes there's some residual effects of subspace that still remain with the bottom or the submissive, and it's called subdrop. It's basically the name that's been given to it that's a drop or a low point in sort of an emotional state. It can also be a physical state that she, that the cell or bottom can experience hours or days after a really intense BDSM scene or play session. Um, and it's basically all the negative, depressive state and effects that come with an after after scene. So after the aftercare, you might be like, I'm okay. But then a few hours later, you might sort of feel other negative effects to it. And that's that's sort of what that's about. The causes are manifold. It can be physical. It can be like mental. It can be, it can be anything. You can sort of, you might cry. You might feel super lonely. You might, you know, have a hard time coming to terms with your, your not being beat on now. You know, that's something that you enjoy. It really depends, but that's that's what subdrop ha- is. And it, it also happens at tops. People like to just you know, pretend like, oh, the tops are strong and we never experience anything. And I think that's a, that's a myth, you know, for me, definitely when I go to conventions and I go to BDSM, uh, long-term dungeon parties that are hours and hours after I play, I sort of do feel like, oh, I'm sort of sad that I can't keep doing this longer the next day. So I think it happens with tops, definitely, and doms. It's sort of the same thing that happens to athletes and adventurers when they go into high stress situations. Um, and maybe after people have been in like a car accident or some sort of serious emotion, it's that drain and that sort of depressive state that you might feel, you know, not like yourself for a couple of days. So that's what sub and top drop is. Um, and the best way I found to sort of combat that is to keep in touch with the person or people that you played with, if you can, um, 
you know, find a support system, whether that's online or whether that's through, you know, just hanging out with even your vanilla friends. If you can't hang out with your kinky friends, you do want to try and be with people and it'll take your mind off of it for a little bit. And, you know, then it'll, it'll go away. It's, it happens. It's, it's not a huge deal, but you do want to try to make sure that you figure out what works best for you to sort of combat the, the drop that might happen. And so that's pretty much subspace, sub drop, top drop, and how to do aftercare. And again, if you're going to play with anyone at any time, you should probably familiarize yourself with these things and these terms that I'm talking about because you do want to know what's going on with your body and you do want to know what the response is going to be to some of the things that you end up doing. And again, as a top or a dominant, figure out what aftercare tactics and techniques work for you and then try to implement them and try to figure out if that matches up with your play partner because it's very unsafe to play with someone and then not be able to offer aftercare. If you're new to the scene, ask other people, look online, you know, do your due diligence to be the best sort of top that you can be. So next we'll talk about hard and soft limits within BDSM. And we're going to talk about hard and soft limits. So you might be wondering, what the heck is a hard and soft limit? I like most hard things, but (laughs) hard limits and soft limits are definitely things that you should learn about and again, find out where you fit on the spectrum. A limit is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's something that is off limits. Soft limits and hard limits are two different things. The BDSM lifestyle has so many activities that are kinky, they're dangerous, they're illegal, they can be just gross, and the moment that you say, you know what, I'm going to participate in this lifestyle, you need to decide things that you would never do, which is a hard limit, things which you might do, which would be a soft limit, and just things that you can't live without. And those are things that you want to incorporate into your play. Um, Subs who write me and tell me they have no limits. They're either too stupid or too eager to play with me. And I will gladly push their pathetic cries for attention into my recycling bin where they belong. No limits means that it's okay for me to do anything I want to you. That means that you would be okay with sleeping in a cage in the woods you would be okay with me choking you until you pass out. When you regain conscious, I'll do it all over again. Or would you be okay with me waterboarding you and then branding you with a cattle iron or possibly shaving your head off or cutting your arm down to the bone? No, you're probably not okay with these things. And this is a limit. Everyone has limits. If you are stupid enough to think that you don't have limits, to me, that means that you're not thinking thinking outside of the little box that you put BDSM into where you think that it's all about sex, sex, sex. 
for me, the lifestyle is much more than just sex. So you do need to know what your limits are. Personally, my hard limits are I won't do anything with children. I won't do anything with animals. I don't do needle play. I don't do anything with blood. I don't do anything that involves any sort of bodily secretion outside of sweat. Um, so and I certainly wouldn't do anything illegal. Those are my hard limits. Those are generally like the baseline of hard limits. And those might not be the limits for other people. Those might not be the limits for you. Those might not be the limits that you've read about. But those are my personal hard limits. These are things I will absolutely not do under any sort of circumstances. And it's it's important that people know what sort of boundaries they will not cross. And it's also important that people know what sort of boundaries they're interested in, they're curious about, and under the right circumstances, they might do it. I have a soft limit on fire play. I won't do fire play unless it's someone I absolutely know and trust and have seen them play with other people before. That's a soft limit of mine. I've done fire play before. I don't incorporate it into everyday play and I will do it under the right circumstances, but it's not a hard limit, which means it's not out of the question for me if the situation is, you know, a perfect storm essentially. So why do you need limits? That's a no-brainer. Of course, you need limits to keep yourself and the person you're playing with safe. Tops, bottoms, everything in between, have your limits. If you don't know what the limits are, if you are like, I don't know, I'm new to this. I have no idea what my limits are. Go online, go to Google, look for BDSM hard and soft limits. There's tons and tons of checklists that you can look through and there'll be things you didn't even think of and you're like, no, I would never ever do that. That's a hard limit. There's some things that will trigger things into people where they are like, oh my God, I didn't think about that. But when I was a kid, you know, people did push me in a closet at a party and I had a bad experience with it. You might have a hard limit of being in a closet or being in an enclosed space. If you're claustrophobic, same sort of thing. So it's really, really important that you figure out what things you're willing to try, what things you're curious about trying, and what things absolutely will make your skin crawl and you will immediately, you know, just have a revolting sort of reaction to it. And this goes along with the last podcast where I was talking about it's important to negotiate your scenes and figure out what's what's okay and what's not okay before you actually play with someone because these are the types of things that you want to... Um, that you want to incorporate. Another hard limit of mine is hair. I don't want anyone pulling my hair. I just, I just don't. It's just something I just do not want to do. So before I ever played with someone, I would tell them like, you know, my hair is a no limit. Please don't touch my hair. That's a hard limit. I'm not fucking around. Don't fucking touch my hair. So everyone has different hard limits and they are going to be tailored. They should be tailored to you and your personal preferences. Now, some people say, well, how can you have limits and still submit or blah, blah, blah. You can totally have limits and still submit. You can be the perfect fucking slave or sub or bottom or top or dom or master or mistress or anything you want and still have limits. It is simply a matter of communication. Sometimes it's just about the mind fuckery. Sometimes I threaten to do things that I know are a hard limit 
um, to my sub because I just want to see the reaction. I, he knows that I will keep his safety in my mind at all times. It is at the forefront of whatever we're doing, but I like to take him out of that comfort zone. I like to make him think, oh, she might do it when I really would never do that. But I like to expand his horizons a little bit. And I like to challenge soft limits. I figure a good dominant will always challenge your soft limits. And it will seem that you have no limits because your limits are the same as your dom. And I feel like that's when you know you have a good match. If it seems like you have no limits because you guys are able to sort of push each other, you know, in a, in, in sort of a back and forth motion of a little give and take. Um, I feel like that's when you're, that's when you're synergizing. I think it's a wonderful place to end up with when you have a safe dom who will help you explore and experience a range of activities based on your soft and hard limits and will respect those boundaries. So again, soft limits, things which are not necessarily set in stone, can be flexible. You may be able to push the boundaries on that a little bit. You might be curious about it. Hard limits is just something you absolutely not do and it's not negotiable. And don't be afraid to tell people what your hard limits are. If someone doesn't want to respect your hard limit and someone says, oh, your hard limit is actually my prime fetish, you two probably should not play together because it might end badly. And you just want to avoid that situation if you can. So don't be afraid about expressing yourself. And even if you don't know that you have a limit, but you're in the middle of play and something happens and you think, I don't like this, then use your safe word. Use your safe word, whatever that may be, or call out red if you're in a dungeon. That's always a house safe word. And play will immediately stop and you can discuss whatever limit they've crossed and whatever has happened. And we have our kinky question of the day that'll be read by Jean. Jean, tell us what our kinky question of the day is today. Hello again, guys. This question's from Alicia in California. My boyfriend and I have been together for about a year, and I always knew he was submissive. More recently, we've started to get into me being really dominant, which I'm discovering that I absolutely love. Before it was more about denial and chastity. Now it's becoming more punishment and control, which again, I'm loving. My boyfriend has always called me mistress when he does use a name, and he recently asked me if I prefer a different name. I think I'd like to be called something else, but I'm not sure what. I've Googled and haven't been able to find much. My boyfriend gave me these suggestions, madam, ma'am, goddess, dom, domina, and mistress, but I don't want him to choose my name. I get to do that. But I don't know what I want. What if there's an amazing name out there I haven't heard of yet? Any ideas or suggestions? Thanks for that question, Jean. Well, your boyfriend has definitely hit some of the good ones on head. Uh, Madam, ma'am, goddess, dom, dominina. Those are all sort of standard ones. Um, And I think it definitely comes down to a preference thing. When I first came into the scene, I wanted a very scary domineering name. And I had that for a little bit. And that didn't really work out too well for me. I didn't feel like it represented me. And then I was known as Miss L for about eight years. And I've recently transitioned into Natalie Noir. And this is basically the name that I've chosen for myself. So I I had a lot of conversations with other female dominants about the word mistress and a lot of them love it. They love it and they're proud of it and they want to embrace the title. And I've had some people talk about the historical context in which it's important and it's empowering, but I just, I don't really feel like I fit within that context because I not now or ever will belong to any man. Um, I will be always be my own person. So 
being a a straight up mistress just mistress is not for me that's why I stopped calling myself Miss L I like to think of myself as dominant um mistress transient I can float in or out I don't mind being called miss and I do like being called mistress but I don't want to be exclusively called mistress that's why I've I've got my name of Natalie Noir and for me I feel like people will say like, oh, it doesn't matter. But I think what's in a name? Everything is in a name. So I have answered this question before, but I just listed a bunch of examples of things. And I did a little bit more research this time to sort of figure out some other names you could be called. So I'm just going to go through the list and I will explain some of them. And some of them I'm just going to throw out there. So he could call you Miss or Mommy or Miss whatever your last name is. I love that sort of aspect. That's a very empowering thing to me. Um, He could just call you your name if you find that seductive enough. He could call you Owner, Countess, Goddess, Empress, Queen, Sultana, which is Arabic for Queen, princess, dame, duchess, baroness. I like titles that sort of have a historical aspect to them. I'm a huge, I'm a huge nerd on um, Greek mythology and Egyptian history. So some of those names stick out for me because I, I really like them. A lot of people in the scene do this. They choose a god or a goddess and they take on that name because it does make them feel more empowered. Some people use the name of a fictional character. Um, I've seen people use the name V, like V for Vendetta and other things. So it, it really depends on you. And some people have picked names that I've heard are based off special memories um, that sort of called out to them. It might be something that was when you were a teenager or it might have been a nickname or it might be something you role played as one time. You can also try and use like your hobbies or interests if you want to try and uh, do a name based off like that, like maybe a bird or a flower that you like. Um, You can even just like I said, you can even just use your name if you want. So, um, you can let him pick or you can pick. It's really up to you. It's really whatever you want to be called and you're not stuck with it. You can try something one week and if you hate it, make him start calling you something else. And if you hate that, do it again and do it again until you feel like you have a name which sits well with you and no one's going to tell you it's wrong because we've all gone through several name changes. If you've been in the scene longer than a couple of months, you've probably gone through more than one or two um, name changes and title changes. So find out what works for you and don't be afraid to change it and don't be afraid to implement it with him. So good luck with that. I hope you find a very uh, good name, a good fit for you. So that's all we have for today for Mundane to Miss. I just want to thank everyone for listening. Be sure to check me out at mundanetomiss.blogspot.com. If you have a question and you want to be chosen as the kinky question of the day, head on over to All Experts, go into the relationship section, go to BDSM, find Natalie Noir, send me your crazy question or your same question, and I will answer it as best as I can. Next week, we will be talking about consent violators because this seems to be a very hot button topic in my local Washington, D.C. BDSM scene. And we're also going to talk about scene names and 
privacy in the scene to sort of help those stay safe in the scene. So have a good weekend, guys. I'll see you guys next week. Be safe, be sane, but above all else, be sexy. From mundane to mysteries.